Good morning. In today's headlines, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis officially launches his campaign for president, but the announcement on Twitter spaces didn't go as smoothly as planned. Find out why. Reactions are in to DeSantis announcing his 2024 bid, and we hear what locals from the presidential hopeful's hometown have to say about him entering the race. Another day goes by, but no deal on the debt ceiling. With the two sides entrenched in their positions and time running out, we hear what lawmakers are saying on Capitol Hill. The House approves a resolution blocking President Biden's student debt relief program. We look at its chances moving forward. A new study suggests stress from not having enough food can lead to poor diet and emotional eating. Also, why you should really take a closer look at your spice cabinet, especially if you have kids. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, May 25th. Evelyn, food safety is super important. I'm so glad you did that interview because I know a lot of people have spices and I appreciate you bringing that issue to light. Yeah, she actually brought a lot of good things, good points, and uh, so make sure you stay till the end to get, uh, get, get some useful tips. Yes, and we know we have a lot of news to cover and we know your time is valuable, so we're going to dive right into the presidential election. That's right. Thank you, Kevin. Now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis officially launched his campaign for president yesterday, but his announcement on Twitter spaces was plagued by severe technical glitches. Here are the details. Following months of speculation, DeSantis tried to make the announcement in a first-of-its-kind conversation with Elon Musk on Twitter spaces. But the audio stream crashed repeatedly, making it virtually impossible for most users to hear the announcement in real time. Governor DeSantis first drew my attention and support when I saw how he responded. The event was delayed by about half an hour. Musk and tech entrepreneur David Sachs, the hosts of the event, said the amount of people trying to attend overloaded the servers. DeSantis filed paperwork Wednesday with the Federal Elections Commission and released his first campaign video on social media. Calling his campaign our great American comeback, DeSantis touted his achievements in Florida. Truth must be our foundation, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we proved that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. What are DeSantis's chances against Trump in the GOP primary? Former senior advisor and counsel to former President Trump, Jenna Ellis, gives NTD her analysis. I think we're going to see him rise in the polls, and um, I do think that he's going to have um, a really great shot at uh, getting the nomination, and that's why Team Trump has uh, really spent, I think, the report as of Monday was $15.3 million more than they're spending attacking Democrats, attacking Ron DeSantis, because they know that he does pose a significant threat. DeSantis joins a crowded GOP field that also includes former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, talk show host Larry Elder, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. DeSantis took aim at the Federal Reserve in an interview following the announcement. He says the Fed should not be the economic central planner for the country and that he would direct it to focus on maintaining a stable dollar if elected. The 2024 presidential candidate says that's because the Fed is not accountable or elected by anybody and he feels their printing of money has thrust the U.S. deeper into inflation. 
And the presidential hopeful says he would reverse Biden's energy policies very quickly and would replace FBI Director Christopher Wray on day one. He also hinted that Attorney General Merrick Garland would be looking for a new job if he takes the Oval Office. DeSantis' campaign says he raised a million dollars within an hour of formally announcing his presidential bid. DeSantis's top Republican rival weighed in on Truth Social yesterday. There's only one Donald Trump, was one message the former president and 2024 contender put out to voters. Trump shared two campaign ads targeting DeSantis last night. One stated that Trump's endorsement propelled DeSantis to being elected governor in 2018 and that DeSantis should be grateful and remember how he got to where he is. The other ad depicts DeSantis as a Trump imposter. This comes after DeSantis likened himself to Trump, but without the drama. President Biden joined in posting criticism as technical difficulties unfolded during DeSantis' launch event. The president's Twitter account shared a link to his campaign donation page with the message, this link works. The president mocked DeSantis again with a video post. It highlighted the six-week abortion ban DeSantis recently signed into law and his previous support in Congress for cuts to entitlements. Biden wrote, no matter what happens, you can hear Ron DeSantis' agenda loud and clear. Voters expressed a variety of reactions to the latest presidential candidate to throw their hat in the ring. And hometown locals shared their impressions of the kid called D, who they knew from Dunedin. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. Reactions were mixed on the streets of Seattle after DeSantis formally announced his 2024 bid. Well, I'm not surprised. We knew he was going to do that, but uh, I would say he is the worst thing that's happened to Florida, and I would hate to see him do that to the rest of the country. I'm for anybody who wants to work with America first. You know, um, he's against the Ukraine money, and so am I. I mean, we got we got homeless here. That we got veterans here that need help. There is no choice between Trump and DeSantis. They're both equally horrible picks for a president. A small group of LGBT and Black Lives Matter protesters gathered in Miami and shouted slogans outside a Four Seasons hotel where DeSantis was hosting a donor event. In DeSantis's hometown of Dunedin, those that knew him as a youth shared their thoughts on him entering the 2024 race. At one time, I would have liked to see Ron and Trump beat together because there would have been no stopping him. But now it's like, well, you know, the kid is cut loose and there's a reason why. Opportunity doesn't knock twice. The local barber says he believes the kid he called D was destined. Ron always excelled in anything he's ever done. He was always straight focused and... Uh, what can you say but wow? He says DeSantis comes from a tight family and had a close relationship with his father. If you look at Ron, Casey, and the three children, they're a model family, and I think that scares a lot of the politicians today because, let's face it, they're trying to get rid of Christianity in the world. They're trying to get rid of the family unit in the world, and uh, they're everything that they're against. The 2024 presidential candidate's old baseball coach remembers him fondly. He certainly would uh, do his best to, to provide for all the people in the, in the country like he has in the state of Florida. I'm very proud of what he's done. He says DeSantis is as driven now as he was back when he was young. He's determined. He's a bulldog. And uh, if he wants to be president, I don't see anything holding him back. So we'll see what happens. DeSantis's argument for his candidacy is likely to center around trying to convince voters he's the only Republican who can defeat Biden. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
With just a week to go till a possible default, there is still no deal on the debt ceiling. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is warning that the two sides are still far apart. Entity's Daniel Monaghan has more on what lawmakers on Capitol Hill are saying. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's plan calls for trimming the budget before raising the debt ceiling past $31 trillion. I don't understand why Democrats think they can't find one dollar to cut. Spending's the problem. We can't spend more next year than we're spending this year. Congressman Dusty Johnson says the U.S. will spend $10 trillion just in interest on the debt in the next decade. We are spiraling out of control. It's time for the big boys and the big girls to get a deal. While Representative Glenn Grotham has a realistic outlook on how any final deal may look. I think in a negotiation you seldom get all that you expect to get. Senior Republican sources say striking a deal by June 1st is unlikely, something House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries blames the GOP for. House Republicans are determined to crash the economy because they believe it will benefit them politically. That's a sentiment that Rhode Island Congressman Seth Magaziner concurs with. A manufactured crisis that Speaker McCarthy uh, and the extreme Republicans in his caucus have invented. Democrat Representative James McGovern questioned the fairness of House Speaker McCarthy's tactics. Um, you know, he's not negotiating. He's handing, they're giving us ransom notes. While White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre sounds the alarm on the havoc a default could wreak. A default would have catastrophic impacts in every single part of this country. The U.S. reached the debt ceiling in January, and since then, the Treasury Department has taken extraordinary measures to keep afloat financially. But there are obligations at the start of June, including $12 billion for military and civilian retirement benefits and $4 billion for federal salaries. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise says the House will go on recess Thursday, but will come back if a deal on the debt limit is reached. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. In related news, ratings agency Fitch put the U.S.'s AAA credit rating on watch for a possible downgrade yesterday. It cited increased political partisanship that is preventing a deal to raise or suspend the debt limit. This despite the fast approaching default date. The move by Fitch revived memories of 2011 when S&P downgraded the United States to AA+. That set off a cascade of other downgrades as well as a stock market sell-off. And coming up, the backlash against Target's LGBT-inspired kids' clothing collection is growing, and the retailer's pocketbook is taking a hit as well. Welcome back. Target shareholders are feeling the burn from angry reactions to the retailer's LGBT-inspired kids' clothing collection. Shares fell nearly 3% yesterday alone and have dropped almost 10% this month. The drop amounts to over $4 billion in market value. Target said Wednesday that it was removing some products in the collection. This after the company says employees' sense of safety and well-being at work has been affected following threats. But it's not just the items themselves that are causing tempers to flare. Customers have also expressed outrage over a designer linked to the collection. The company Apralins' Eric Carnell is reportedly a Satanist. Carnell wrote on Instagram that Satan represents passion, pride and liberty and loves all LGBT plus people. Carnell has also made controversial statements against straight people. 
The backlash against Target is similar to what Anheuser-Busch experienced following its Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light campaign. Bud Light sent the transgender activist personalized cans of beer with the influencer's image on it. It was part of a dual-purpose ad for the company's March Madness contest and to commemorate Mulvaney's one-year anniversary of identifying as a woman. Now to the West Coast. San Francisco city leaders held a special meeting outdoors with the mayor to talk about open-air drug use, but they had to cut it short after protesters and locals started heckling and saying the officials aren't doing enough to address drug addiction. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors held a special outdoor public meeting with Mayor London Breed on Tuesday to talk about the city's handling of open-air drug dealing. But it was cut short after disruptions from unhappy residents and protesters. Several dozen people gathered as Peskin invited Breed to answer a question about plans to manage the drug crisis. You have homeless people. My question to Mayor Breed since you have rightly called the open-air drug dealing and a surge in overdose deaths a crisis. We We are acknowledging that problem, sir. The meeting was held at the city's United Nations Plaza, an area now known for drug dealing and usage just a couple blocks from City Hall. We can't keep speaking out of both sides of our mouth. On the one hand, we want change and we want to hold people accountable. And on the other hand, we're willing to let people get away with murder. Throughout the statements from Breed and Peskin, people in the crowd shouted at the officials. Some expressed their distrust in the officials, calling out policies that backfired. We got a fentanyl epidemic. It's worse than, and we, and we got it sanctuary policy and a sanctuary policy is protecting the criminals that's accused of bringing the drugs over here. I think San Francisco's at a crossroads right now of which direction we want to go and that's unfortunate because really what we need is we need both things. We need a public health approach and we need a target specific law enforcement approach for the organized drug dealing. Peskin struggled to continue his statements and Breed conceded that the meeting could not move forward. I do think that the fact is, I'm not sure without listening to the public that this is going to be the right forum to be able to answer your question thoroughly. In light of the mayor's statement, which I appreciate, we will recess this meeting to the Board of Supervisors Chamber, wherein the mayor will respond to the A for Ask question. Locals say city leaders have not addressed the problem at the root. I work in a shelter. It's not a funeral home. It's turning into a funeral home over fentanyl. This says fentanyl, Nazi war camp. Stop killing us for money. They're sending people into the shelter and allowing them to do fentanyl. It's not right. Either Mayor London Breed needs to fix it or step down. It's over her head. She cannot handle it. Pittman says the funding shelters receive go to pacifying the drug addicts instead of rehabilitating them. If I tell someone they cannot bring their fentanyl in there, I get fired. If I tell them, hey, you cannot get high in here, I get fired. It's not right. After Breed and Peskin cut the meeting short, one woman was seen being detained by police and escorted away. Local media reported that she had thrown a brick towards the front of the crowd. And now some short headlines from around the world. The 
House approved a resolution yesterday that would block President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. Two Democrats crossed the aisle to support the measure. Now it goes to the Senate, where nearly all of the 49 Republicans have signed on as sponsors. It would still need at least two Democratic votes to pass. And even if that happened, Biden has already said he would veto it. A U.S. district judge has ruled that J.P. Morgan Chase can move forward with its lawsuit against former executive Jess Staley. It seeks to hold him liable for concealing knowledge about disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein, who was a J.P. Morgan client from 1998 to 2013. The ruling could make Staley liable to pay millions of dollars. Microsoft has confirmed that critical U.S. infrastructure was hacked in Guam by state-sponsored Chinese hacker Vault Typhoon. The breach raised concerns over potential future communications infrastructure breaches. The U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency and international partners have warned similar methods could be used to compromise other sectors worldwide. Moving on, is Twitter as a platform moving to the right? Fox News used to be the place where conservatives broke news, the heart of conservative media, but now it seems to be Twitter. Yes, and there are several reasons for that. Ron DeSantis announcing his run on Twitter, The Daily Wire moving its podcast onto Twitter, and Tucker Carlson's new show exclusively on Twitter. And today's fake quarter takes a look at what's going on. Is Twitter as a platform moving to the right? Many say it is. Ron DeSantis formally announced he's running for president on Twitter instead of on Fox News. And he did it in a conversation with Elon Musk. Conservative news site The Daily Wire has announced it's going to stream all its shows on Twitter starting May 30th. It calls Twitter the largest free speech platform in the world. And Tucker Carlson is launching his new show on Twitter. I don't think it's correct that Twitter's leaning towards the right or making sudden, some sudden move to the right. It's just that there's now an equalization of voices on the left and the right. Andrew Selipak is a social media professor at the University of Florida. He says that before Musk took over, Twitter's former executives were shadow banning and throttling down conservative content. After Musk took over and basically removed those restrictions, those voices that hadn't been being heard during COVID and were limited by the executives and the people at Twitter suddenly exploded onto the platform. Selipak says it makes sense for Carlson to launch his show on Twitter because he has a non-compete agreement with Fox News. He says it makes sense for The Daily Wire to use Twitter more to reach out to more of an audience. Selipak also says it makes sense for Musk to be part of Ron DeSantis' announcement. Selipak believes Musk is looking for an alternative to Biden and Trump. They're just saying, hey, listen, we're going to be a free, open exchange of ideas and you're going to have to, if you're, if you're not comfortable with that, then fine. Joe Karrison is the chief marketing officer of Karrison PPC. He says that it makes sense for a free market of ideas to exist somewhere and that just because this has attracted right-wing personalities, that doesn't mean the platform itself is moving to the right. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Coming up, could what is in your spice cabinet be harming your kids? We look at that and a potential cause of emotional eating. And Fleet Week in New York is back again. This year's event marks the first full comeback since the pandemic. Find out what's in store for visitors right after the break. Good to have you back. Not having enough food to eat as a teen can lead to a poor diet and emotional eating. 
That's according to a new study. Researchers looked at data collected by the National Cancer Institute, which followed more than 1,500 adolescents. They say teens were binge eating and using laxatives as possible strategies for coping with the stress of not having enough food. People in this situation are more likely to buy something that's filling rather than focusing on their nutritional needs. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, about 9 million children in the United States are affected by this problem. Now on top of that, a study this year found that spices are a significant source of lead poisoning, especially for kids. I spoke to an expert to find out more. Joining me now is Dr. Kelly Johnson-Arbor. She is a medical toxicology physician at the National Capital Poison Center. Good morning. Good morning, Evelyn. Well, first, how do I know if the spices I use have lead in them? So that's a really tough question because you may not know. Generally, when people use spices that are contaminated with lead, they don't know until after the fact. Typically though, the lead that is added to spices is done for purposes of coloring in many cases. So spices that contain lead may be very brightly colored. So think about your, um, your red and orange and really pretty looking spices. Those are the ones that are more likely to contain lead. There have been episodes in the US where we've had spices that were um, had lead that contained the turmeric had lead contamination and I believe some other ones did too. But again, those are typically the very brightly colored spices. Also imported spices, may also contain lead that is introduced during the manufacturing process. Interesting. Now, how serious are the effects on the body if we do consume lead, lead for a long period of time? So certainly it can have bad effects. Um, the effects are generally more pronounced in young children than in adults, but even in adults, lead exposure can cause high blood pressure and headaches and gastrointestinal problems and sometimes even muscular weakness. In children though, we really worry because lead can damage the developing brain. So in young children who eat lead in terms of spices or any other forms of lead, um, even low amounts can be very damaging to their brain development and to their overall cognition. Now, um, what are some brands that you say it's better to avoid or maybe types of spices to avoid and which ones are safe to keep in the pantry? Sure. So in general, I am wary. I'm very careful with imported spices. So anything that is brought over from um, another country overseas may have lead in it. Again, these are not things that are introduced intentionally, but it's just part of the manufacturing process. The, manu the manufacturing processes for spices in some countries may not be as careful or as rigorous or as safe as it is within the U.S. So I would be very hesitant to use any imported spices. And the other spices to be um, worried about are potentially the ones that are brightly colored, again, because some of the lead powders can be very bright and very enticing to look at. Um, and so that's why they can also be added to some different types of spices. There's no real particular brands that I, I'm concerned about. I'm more concerned about where the spices came from and also the coloring of the spices. Okay, I see. Now, what about those that now realize, oh, I've been actually consuming lead for a while now. Is there any way to reverse effects? So the good thing about lead is that we can diagnose exposure with a simple blood test. So if you are concerned that you were exposed to lead from spices, you can go to your doctor, you can call your local poison control center and ask them for a blood test for lead. It's a simple test. It usually can, you know, the results come back within a week or so. And if the results are elevated, 
then there should be an additional investigation to where the lead is coming from. And it, if it happens to come from spices, the best way to get that out of your body is to stop using that particular spice. In some cases, we can give chelators, um, which can remove the lead from the body, but that's typically not done if, except in very severe cases. So in most cases, if you just stop consuming the spices that uh, contain lead, you, your body should get rid of the lead over time. Gotcha. Thank you so much, Dr. Kelly Johnson-Arbor. I appreciate it. Thank you. She talks about imported spices. I also asked her if there are any specific countries we should look out for, and she said we should really just look out for imported spices in general. Yeah, you know, Evelyn, lead and food just doesn't mix. I wonder why that's even there in the first place. And we're going to take you to um, a new story here, a little bit of a lighter note. It's that time of year again. Fleet Week in New York is in full swing. Now it's in its 35th year, and members of the public have the opportunity once again to meet with crew members and take a tour of the ships. NTD's Kos Temenes has more. The USS Wasp kicked off Fleet Week on Wednesday, leading a parade of ships into the New York Harbor. It's a week-long event in celebration of maritime services. There are 2,700 Navy and Marines and Coast Guard that are in town uh, from approximately nine ships that are coming in, or nine, nine vessels that are coming in. And you'll see the Navy and Marines and Coast Guard all over New York City. And it's just that opportunity, really, for the general public to say thank you, buy them a drink, give them directions, and just be the friendly New Yorkers that we can be. Other countries, such as the UK and Canada, also feature at the event. Um, we've been sending ships here now for quite a few years, um, and it's great to sort of meet the uh, Coast Guard, Marine Corps, US Navy, um, and our other allies and partners that are here. New York's a fantastic city. This year's event marks the first full return since the pandemic. We're so excited, and it was really that first year, that first year where we're full on back. Last year there was still a little trepidation, mask wearing. Now we are really just here to celebrate and to say thank you. Around 3,000 sailors, Marines and members of the Coast Guard are expected to participate in this year's events, to offer demonstrations and to showcase the latest military technology. Costa Menes, NTD News. Really showing off the strength of the U.S. Navy. Yeah, and maybe I should go take a look as well this year. I've never been. Yeah, good honor of the sailors. Yeah, we should. All right, we're wrapping up here as usual. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.